It's precious to hear from our young people and to see some of the young people not so young anymore. (laughs) We appreciate that. We appreciate the extra effort that um, Sandra and Sharon have made in in the singing, and please convey your thanks to them, too, for that extra effort. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 18, Luke 18. As you're turning there, I want to uh, offer the CMML handbook. It's an excellent resource for knowing who missionaries are, some of the missionaries overseas, and uh, you're welcome to have this as a reference. We ask that you please give preference to those who pray through the book during the year. It's got... um, For example, day 25, so people are praying for these missionaries on the 25th of the month. If you'd like to do that, uh, take one. We'll give you a week to get your copy off the the rack, and then those who'd like it just for reference are welcome to, to take those. If we run out, we'll get more. Luke 18 and verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God, shall God not judge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The message this morning is on the unjust judge and the widow. And I was thrilled that uh, Ron chose this text for his devotional Wednesday night uh, as a preview of our study this morning. The question initially is, how vital is a message that the Lord gives from the same text uh, twice within five days? The Lord has something for us today from the parable of the unjust judge and the widow. Who are we looking at in this parable? How many people do we find in the Lord's parable? Let's, uh, let's name them. Dave has two. Let's, let's name them. Who are the, the characters in today's story? The judge, the widow. Who else? An adversary. Okay. And? God, yes, very good. God actually is present in each of our character studies, whether we realize it at the time or not. We've gone through this now for for a couple of years, and God reveals his character every time in every study, not just in the uh, family Bible hour, but in our Sunday school classes, in our devotionals. God is revealing his character to us, and so... We will study his character this morning. Next question, is the story 
uh, factual? Is it historical, I'm, uh, I mean, or is it fictional? We hear a little of both, fictional, historical. The Lord starts his parable with, um, with the statement, there was in a certain city a judge. And I believe that when he's uh, pointing to that city, he's talking about a physical place. He's talking about an actual event that happened. And so as he's going through this parable, there are those in the audience who are saying, okay, uh, I, can, I can relate this to something that happened just last week or last year. This was uh, apparently a factual, a historical occurrence. We'll look at the character of three people, the Lord, the widow, and the unjust judge. The Lord, we'll see, loves righteousness. And we'll note that it's his character, it's his nature that he loves righteousness. And also that he expects righteousness of others. Second, We'll look at the widow who sought justice. We'll see her need and her persistence. And then third, we'll see the judge who dismissed or neglected his duty. He showed his irreverence for God and his disregard, his disdain for his fellow man. And when he finally acted, I appreciate you pointing this out Wednesday, Ron, he acted in um, self-interest. At the end of this morning's message, we must come back to the beginning because the Lord Jesus reveals the purpose for the parable at the beginning of, um, of the text. First, God loves righteousness. <clears throat> he is righteous by nature. King David had uh, dealings with the Lord and he wrote this in Psalm 11. He said, The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. It's his passion. The Lord uh, cannot separate himself from righteousness. Well, early on, let's define what righteousness is. The dictionary says righteousness is uprightness. It's integrity. It means to be right, straight, to be just, to be righteous in dispensing justice. Righteousness is exhibited in punishing the wicked or in avenging or delivering or rewarding the righteous. And we're going to talk about that word avenge this morning. It may be unfamiliar to some. And a dictionary definition of avenge means to inflict pain or punishment on an evildoer. To protect a person from attack. Okay, so that's what it means to avenge. Someone is to protect, protect them from a, uh, an enemy, from a predator. David said, the Lord is righteous and he loves righteousness. <clears throat> Moses was um, in close communion with the Lord for 40 years. The Lord led the nation of Israel through the wilderness and uh, Moses was God's key man. Moses spent time on Mount Sinai. And he observed the Lord in, <clears throat> in his dealings with the nation of Israel. It was not a, a happy time. It was a difficult uh, experience for 40 years. 
<clears throat> and at the end of his life, Moses would sing of the Lord, I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. During the struggle with the nation of Israel, there were times when the Lord could have exercised heavy-handedness on the nation. He could have really let them have it, but he did not. He was fair with them. Our danger, of course, is that we play favorites and um, that we act in indulgence. The Lord did not do that either. He was just and upright. The third, a third instance of the Lord's love for righteousness, we fast forward to the future, to the tribulation. We see the third bold judgment, judgment being poured out on humanity for uh, for sin. And as the third angel poured out his uh, bowl on the rivers and springs of water, they became blood. And I heard, uh, John records, I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be. Because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. We have this, um, uh, this testimony from, from those who are in contact with the Lord that He is righteous and He loves uprightness. Where there is punishment to be given, the Lord is the one to give it because he dispenses it with fairness, equity, and uh, without favoritism or permissiveness or indulgence. He is uh, entirely fair. But the Lord is not just righteous. He expects those around him to be righteous as well, especially those who act in his name. In the Old Testament, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, appointed judges at the Lord's instruction. Listen to, the, um, listen to the guidance that Jehoshaphat gives to these judges. He set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord, with the Lord our God, nor par no partiality, nor taking of bribes. Jehoshaphat had two very important things to communicate to his, his judges. First of all, they weren't representing man. They weren't Jehoshaphat's men. They were the Lord's men, and they were to, uh, to execute the Lord's wishes. They were to, uh, to be righteous as the Lord himself is righteous. And secondly, they are to, to perform, they are to work, they are to conduct themselves in the fear of the Lord. 
we'll talk more about the fear of the Lord in a minute. We want to look at good examples as, uh, as well as bad. Job was a good example of a judge for the Lord. In uh, Job 19, verses 11 through 17, uh, Job is able to testify this. He said, When the ear heard, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw, then it approved me, because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Pretty graphic. Job was very thorough in his justice. If he didn't know the matter, <clears throat> excuse me, if he didn't know the matter, he sought it out. He, uh, he ferreted out the details so that he could make a righteous judgment. He was a, a helper of the helpless and, uh, feet to the lame, eyes to the blind. But, uh, there was another side to that, uh, also that he would, um, vanquish the oppressor. He would break out the teeth of the, um, the wicked and pull the victim from his teeth. Job was a good example. He was a righteous judge. We have poor examples too, and uh, the Lord takes them to task in Psalm 82. Psalm 82 and verse 1. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. We see that... uh, that the Lord holds His judges to a special standard. He is among them in verse 1. He stands in the congregation of the mighty. He's, uh, he's judging them for their, their work, for their performance. He, uh, he calls them gods. They are slow, uh, so, so closely tied to His work that they become like gods to those whom they serve, meeting out justice, Lest we think that this responsibility was limited to the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus in John 10, verse 34, quotes this verse. He says, uh, he, he recalls the time when uh, these judges were referred to as gods. It's a heavy responsibility. So God loves righteousness and he expects righteousness from his judges what application does this have for Fremont in 2010? 
One of the applications we can make is that God has set up judges in Alameda County. And uh, make sure I get this right, Angelo. He, um, there's the uh, county courthouse in Alameda. There's a superior court in Hayward. And uh, in these courthouses are men and women who are tasked with the very heavy matters of, um, of, of giving out justice, doing justice for, for the helpless and uh, fighting those predators, <clears throat> punishing predators. And as we think about this, uh, they, are, uh, they have responsibility of, of giving judgments and following through with punishments, which could be death. These are matters of life and death. In that sense as well, they are as gods to, uh, to the citizens of, of San Leandro and Fremont, Hayward. It's a very heavy responsibility. They are con- to conduct themselves in the fear of the Lord. We as well as plaintiffs and defendants and witnesses are to respect them for their God-given responsibility. No matter how they perform. Years ago, I, I wondered. I get called for jury duty every year, and um, uh, I wonder if I were to address the judge, could I call him Your Honor, as um, as the prosecutor and the uh, defense counsel and the others in the courtroom do? And for the longest time, I, I I thought, well, no. I mean, they're just he's another sinner. She's another. Uh, she's limited by. Uh, by her frailty. <clears throat> and then I, I began to see as, as the Lord has given this responsibility to them that, uh, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can refer to them as your honor, looking through, looking beyond the judge to the Lord who is the, the ultimate judge. They have their, resp- their authority from the one who loves righteousness. We have a second application as well. God loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. But he loves sinners too. How can God make outlaws fit for his kingdom? If he, if, if he's inseparable from, from this uprightness, from this hatred for sin, how can he make the unrighteous righteous? Well, he did so by sending his son as a babe in a manger ultimately to grow into manhood, to show himself perfect in all his ways, and to be crucified on the cross of Calvary. Jesus died in your place and mine and took all our sins upon himself. In paying for the penalty for our sin, he was able to impart his righteousness to us. We enter into the benefit of that gift, God's gift of righteousness, by receiving it in faith. All that's needed in fitting us for heaven is there in God's righteousness. If you do not have God's righteousness, we urge you this morning to receive it as a gift through the Lord Jesus' work on the cross in faith. Accept that. Uh, from the Lord. It's vitally important. Back to our parable. 
We've seen the Lord in his righteousness. We now look to the widow in her need. An adversary was threatening to foreclose on her house or to damage her livelihood or to, to slander her or to incarcerate a family member on false charges. Protect me from this ravenous wolf, she may have cried. Give me justice in this lawsuit. Widows have a special place in the Lord's heart, I believe, because of their helplessness and their vulnerability. It really shows the importance of caring and supportive husbands that the Lord would, uh, would point out the widow's helplessness. When the husband is taken away, the Lord takes on the role of her defender. We read in Psalm 68, verse 5. The Lord severely denounces those who defraud and oppress and prey on widows. Uh, we read in Psalm 94, verses 1 through 6. It's understandable to us then that the Lord would take a widow as a, a figure of helplessness for the purpose of this parable. The mistreatment of widows and orphans is one of the Lord's hot buttons, if you will. It um, gets the Lord's attention very quickly in a very negative way. We want to get the Lord's attention in a bad way, uh, abuse a widow or an orphan. We don't know how much the widow understood of the Lord's care for her, in our parable, she went directly to the judge and she focused her attention on that, that earthly judge. And in the manner of parables, we, uh, we find this uh, very fitting that uh, the Lord's purpose was to show that she was single-minded and persistent in her pursuit of a, a good judgment. In her quest for justice, this widow showed persistence. Early on, she realized that it was not going to be an easy interview with the judge to, to, get, uh, to get relief from her adversary. Each night, she came home, <clears throat> landed in a heap on the floor, and <clears throat> frustrated, perhaps in tears, wondered, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to get satisfaction from this lawsuit? Exasperated, yes, angry, perhaps, despairing, quitting, no way. <clears throat> she wasn't going to give up. Each morning, she <clears throat> put on her shawl and made her way back to the city gate for another interview with the judge. The Lord prizes importunity or persistence. We can apply this in our own lives. Are we asking? Don't give up. Keep on asking. Are we seeking? Don't quit. Keep on seeking. Are we knocking? Don't stop knocking. Keep going on until the door opens. We need to show persistence in our, our dealings. 
We see the Lord's righteousness. We appreciate the need of the widow. But uh, let's look then at the judge and see how he did. It says in, um, in verse 2 that this judge did not fear God nor regard man. The fear of God, Vine defines as not a mere fear of God's power or righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing Him. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> that means that um, God is a judge and we should fear Him as a judge because He has the power not to destroy only the body, but also to send the soul to hell. We should fear him uh, for that. But not just because of the uh, punishment for sin, but we should fear his displeasure as well in the, in the things that we do. Um, a child sometimes will uh, obey out of fear of punishment, which is, uh, that's, that's good, but... Uh, Probably a purer motive would be to fear displeasure, the um, the grief of the parent. I think that's a more uh, that's a stronger motive. The fear of God, a controlling motive of the life and matters spiritual and moral. This judge didn't have it. He never confessed it. He never admitted it out loud, but the Lord heard him say it to himself. In, uh, in verse 4, and the Lord announced it to us. I don't fear God nor regard man. There was one that uh, this man, this judge regarded. It was himself. A picture of coldness and uh, arrogance. When he finally did act, he acted in self-interest. Imagine that um, as he made his way to the city gate each morning, uh, he was going to take his seat and he turned to the clerk and he said, uh, what's on the schedule for today? And the clerk replied, well, he said, uh, your docket's full. You've got uh, a full schedule, uh, but here comes the widow from yesterday and uh, she's making her way up the hill toward us. The Judge takes a handful of antacids and gulps them down, and he said, "And he says, uh, you know, <clears throat> this widow's going to wear me out." Two mistakes the judge makes: he refused the widow's justice because he didn't fear God. That was mistake number one, and he accepted the widow's case out of personal convenience. That was mistake number two. The widow was persistent. Uh, we had um, a woman um, at my last employment who um, learned about a, a job opening, and uh, bless her heart, every day she would call the office manager and say, um, have you hired yet? Uh, would you consider me for the position? And uh, every day the office manager would tell her, no, we haven't. Um, uh, you know, we'll call you back, uh, um, you know, and, and hang up. And so uh, every day she'd call back, and, and uh, she was persistent. And uh, the company owner was um, walking through the office one morning, and, and the office manager said, uh, you know, boss, if we hired her, 
uh, we wouldn't have to get her calls every day. <clears throat> and they did. They hired her, and she turned out to be an excellent employee in the company. But this, this judge is not operating in the fear of God. He's operating in the personal convenience mode. And it's a very dangerous thing. The application that we make is, is just uh, that. We make a big mistake full of regret and consequences when we abandon the fear of God we say, uh, I'm making this decision not uh, based on the Word of God, not on the principles of what the Lord has laid down through, uh, through His infinite wisdom and showing us thousands of years of experience. Instead, I'm going to make the decision on what I like, on what is convenient for me, on what's comfortable for me. A marriage partner. Uh, a job opportunity, a promotion, a purchase of a house, big decisions. We, if we do not make those decisions in the fear of God, it's almost guaranteed we make them in, uh, for personal convenience and comfort. It's dangerous and it's uh, freighted with, uh, with failure and heartache and misery because God reveals for us, He wrote the instruction manual. On, uh, on the human human life. So these verses have uh, are freighted, are full of application for us. The Lord said, "The righteous one," in verse six, hear what the unjust judge said, and that's basically it. I'm making this decision not out of fear of you. I am making this decision on the basis of personal convenience. Hear what the unjust judge said. The Lord loves righteousness. Let's review for a second. The Lord loves righteousness. Therefore, we should come to Him on His terms and accept His righteousness. Second, the Lord prizes persistence. Therefore, we should not give up. And third, the Lord holds us accountable for our decisions. Therefore, we should weigh all our decisions against the Lord's counsel that He's given in His Word. Over all these applications, however, the Lord makes one larger application. And we find Him making that in verse uh, verses 7 and 8. He says, uh, and shall not God, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. God said, uh, the Lord Jesus said that God's elect cry out day and night. There's an urgency, there's a need, and uh, his, his subjects are crying out to him for justice. The Lord Jesus asked the question, he says, um, Shall God not avenge his own elect? And I believe that uh, when it says he bears long with them, I believe the them there is the adversary. It's not that he's bearing long with his children, but he says instead in uh, verse 8, I, God will avenge them. God will bring justice. And he says it very emphatically. He says, I tell you. 
God will avenge speedily. It was so good. Uh, I missed the um, Sunday school class this morning, but um, one of the verses in, in Romans um, 12 was, vengeance is mine. Okay, you remember that? <clears throat> Do not avenge yourselves. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will avenge my elect. God's guaranteed it. God has promised it. He will do it. And this is the main point that the Lord is making in His parable. He will avenge in response to prayer, in response to the crying out of His elect. So that brings us back to verse 1, as we had promised. He spoke the parable to them that men ought always to pray and not to faint. God will avenge His elect who cry out to Him day and night. There's a qualification there. So He says, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. The point here is the judge was wicked and unprincipled in his dealings with the widow. But eventually he gave in. He accepted the widow's case. The Lord Jesus contrasts him, uh, the unrighteous judge with himself. And he says, is God more unfeeling? Is God colder than this unrighteous judge? Is he going to not hear the cries of his, uh, of his elect? And if we are to cease, if we cease in praying to the Lord, in effect, we're saying, Lord, this case is hopeless. I give up. And uh, it's calling his, his character into question. It's saying, um, you're, you're not righteous. You're not just in, in, uh, in delivering us from this oppression from this adversary. We need to be very careful. We need to um, come to Him in earnest. We cease to pray to the Lord, the Righteous One. We are accusing Him of negligence, of unfaithfulness. Our worship meeting was precious this morning as we recall, as we look forward to the return of the Lord. And uh, how precious that is to, to see him face to face. The Lord Jesus finishes this parable, um, verse 8. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He's coming. The Lord Jesus is returning. And when he returns, will he find persistence like that of this widow in his saints. Okay? The Lord is saying, in effect, uh, I am your avenger. I am coming. I am returning. Will I find you praying? Will I find you crying out? I will do my part. I will be your avenger. I will be your vindicator, your just one. Will you be there calling out to me for justice? Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your teaching and for the examples you give. You can take an unrighteous judge and, 
and uh, teach us lessons, cause us to hear what the unjust judge said. Lord, uh, remind us of this as we go about making big decisions in life, that we might make them in your fear and uh, with your counsel and not for personal comfort, not for convenience. And we pray, Lord, that um, we might um, imitate this, this dear uh, widow as she cried out uh, to you, to this judge for, for justice. Um, we anticipate your return. We want to be found praying. We want to be found crying out to you for what is right. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.